Welcome back to the Maluli Asset Podcast. I'm your host, Casey Maluli, here with Brendan this week. Brendan, thanks for joining me. Yeah, anytime. Love love it. Love doing this. This is what it's all about. This is what it's about. Let's get it going. Uh, we're back for episode 393. We're recording this on Monday, May 9th. And Bren, this market is, is sloppy. No, between between what's going on with stocks and bonds and then, um, you know, inflation yeah. uh, stuff. I think that inflation in particular is is weighing on sentiment. Um, and then, of course, you know, declining markets never help on top of that. But, you know, I think last week's video we talked about there are some positive things happening in the economy, too, with with obviously unemployment at uh, some of the lowest levels we've seen in decades, uh, job growth continuing, um, a lot of companies still putting out good earnings. Um, and so there are good things happening. But I just, you know, the headliners of what's happening in the stock and bond market, as well as inflation readings, sentiment seems pretty poor. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it kind of is what it is at this point with yeah. the start the year has had. I know. I think I saw uh, when I did the podcast two weeks ago now, I think I saw that the investor sentiment was the lowest it had been in like a decade. Yeah. Um, the last point it was this low was March of 2009, mm-hmm. which is an interesting time in, in stock market history. That was the lows of the financial crisis. Not saying that that's, you know, what we're nowhere near that level right now in terms of uh, market price action, but uh, I think interesting I think, nonetheless. No, it's, I mean, it, it bears monitoring. I feel like uh, sentiment, whether it's an official reading or just a general gauge of what you're hearing from people can be a useful thing to pay attention to, but I kind of look at it as, uh, some people talk about valuation in the market, not a timing tool, meaning if sentiment is bad, it's probably a good signal that in general, moving forward a couple years from here, it will have seen seemed like a good time to put money to work. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean that sentiment's bad and the market has to turn around immediately and go up. Right. I think that that's something, too, that everyone has maybe grown uh, accustomed to in the last couple of years, especially like the... Uh, downturn in 2020 when COVID started, um, you know, six six weeks straight down 30%, and then, you know, a recovery. Yeah, the know, V-shaped recoveries. Pretty just as quick, you know, o- over the summer months. Uh, market doesn't have to work that way. I mean, we obviously have belief that it's still the best place to allocate dollars to get the kind of returns you need, you know, for whether you're still building your nest egg or turning to living off of it. I mean, it's, it's probably the best train you can hitch your wagon to, but yeah. uh, it doesn't mean that it, it has to recover as fast as it has in the last couple of years. Right. I mean, even you look at the last couple of weeks and we've seen some, we're getting really granular here, getting into the last couple of weeks, but we've seen some crazy snaps, snapbacks. Um, you know, just last week we saw Wednesday when the Fed announced their decision, the market was up 5%. And then the next day it was down like almost just as much. So the market's moving around a lot. And, uh, you know, obviously we're here to talk about it and we're here to work through things. And and one of the things that we wanted to address in this episode is how do down markets or periods of, you know, where the market isn't performing like it has over the last couple of years, how does that affect retirement distribution strategies? So we are here to set people's, we're here to set our clients' expectations and try and, and um, frame how people think about taking money out of their accounts in the right way. 
And I just wanted to, to share some stats to give some perspective. In 2019, the S&P 500 was up 28.5%. In 2020, it was up 15%. And last year in 2021, it was up 28.8%. That's 72.3% in three years. Um, I, this is just the S&P 500. So, you know, unless you have all your money in SPY, then these returns are going to look different to varying degrees, but just uh, hear good, me out here. Good, good gauge of right. in general. Right. right. When people say the market, this is generally the S&P 500 is generally what they're talking about. Right. So 72.3% over three years averages out to 24.1% per year. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> We're about 15% off the highs right now. And if you throw that in there with the 72%, that brings you to 57.3% over four years, which still averages out to 14.3% per year. Still really good. Still above average. Above historical average for, for the market, uh, for sure. Right. So one of the things that we've been saying a lot is the returns of 19, 20, and 21, it just can't continue like that. Markets need time to digest and, and kind of reset people's expectations. So how does that in turn get transferred to maybe a retiree who is drawing down their account? Yeah, when you have a period of high returns like that, you start to think of things a little bit differently because you can grow accustomed to very quickly um, only pulling from an ever-increasing number in a portfolio regardless of Really, I mean, if you were even on the higher end of a of a distribution rate, as as we talk about from time to time with your portfolio over the last three years, on a net basis, you could have pulled twice the four percent rule, let's yeah. say, and still seen your portfolio grow. Yeah, not um, even felt it. And it feels like everything everything is great. I mean, the number goes up. You've gotten the money out of the accounts that you've wanted and needed to spend on. No big deal, but. We know that, as you just said, you're not going to see the kind of growth that we saw over the prior three-year period, even even if we w wanted to throw in the recent decline in the market into it. You're not going to see that kind of a growth over 10, 20, 30 years, which is the duration of you know retirements that we're, that we're planning for folks. So um, it, you start to grow complacent with the high returns, uh, you know, kind of foot in the bill for whatever sort of spending uh, you desired and you enter a different a different regime where even if the market's not going down if it's just range bound and moving sideways for a while it can feel different but the reality of it is is, is we we plan for that stuff right when 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 we build these distribution strategies for folks um, but you can plan for it but the idea of living through it and and seeing what that means in comparison to pulling from a portfolio during the good times, that's a whole nother thing. Right. When you're drawing from an account when the market is down, I think the psychological aspect of that is it can be difficult and it can be, you know, if, if you don't have that distribution plan, it can be scary to to dip into that principle. And um, we're just below some mental threshold like like i had, i think alluded to earlier you know maybe you're in in a year like 2022 here maybe you're not necessarily dipping into 
principle, whatever you've deemed that as, but, but you know, your account balance has gone down, uh, for five months now, and you've been pulling uh, a monthly check for each of those five months too. And, and you feel like you're layering on by doing so. Right. So it's, it's kind of a, a tightrope that you have to walk. Cause on the one hand, if you're drawing it down, that means that you're, you're needing, you need the money and you're, you're spending it. So how do we walk people through talking about dipping into their principal or, or layering on those um, additional portfolio withdrawals while the account is down? How, how do we handle that? Well, for starters, it would be, it would be great if every single year we made enough with the investment mix uh, to, to not have to face that. And I think that some folks maybe have that understanding when they're thinking about retirement. Uh, I think that some sometimes pushes people to consider things like dividend stocks or things with high yields because the idea that that those whether it's dividend or or an interest payment is going to throw off enough income to just take that and and run with it uh, without having to touch the principal is enticing it's it's what people want so obviously it would be great if it worked that way um, it's what people want when the markets are down. Yes, of course. It's not what people want when the markets are going up. No. A safe 4 or 5% sounds really good yeah. right now. Yeah. But if you were to say, yeah, you're going to earn 4 or 5% to someone in la- even last year in 2021, I don't know if they would have taken that. to even a balanced portfolio. Exactly. Couldn't you... we earn something more than that? Yeah. So I think you need to keep in mind that you know, obviously over the very long term, the whole idea of having money in stocks and bonds is to not only keep up with inflation and rising costs for things that you're going to need over over retirement, but to also do more above and beyond that. And if history is to be any guide, then even in a balanced portfolio, I think that you can do that if you can deal with the volatility of the market. Right. Um, but what you're not promised is on a month to month, quarter to quarter, or even year to year basis, the portfolio creating what you need as if it's some sort of perpetual motion machine. There's going to be times where you need to pull from the portfolio and your your account balance is down and you're taking your distributions from it. Because as you said, I mean, at least some of the costs you're pulling for are necessities. Right. There may be some wiggle room, some leeway to take more in good times and less in bad, but you know, we all have our fixed expenses to some degree. So there's got to be some minimum threshold to, you know, how how much variation in, in income you can you can tolerate. Yeah. And so when you think of it that way and you need to create a portfolio that reflects that, I think we, we've talked before um, about about buckets yeah. and, and it's mental accounting, but having some uh, release valve in something super, super safe and stable um, to pull from when the market acts like this is, I think, not only a good psychological tool, but it's just prudent investing. Yeah. So you don't end up being a forced seller. And it kind of allows you to view the portion of or the bucket, the long term bucket in an actual long term capacity. Absolutely. Meaning like that's where this, you're going to own your stocks for growth and you can kind of just account for it in your in your mind that mm. 
I don't need to touch this money. Put the blinders on, and, right? And uh, let you know, let stocks do what they can. I mean, I think you you brought to the table like a really good a really good chart today, where it has the um, U.S. stock market from 1928 to last year, and it had the the probability of seeing gains over different time horizons, and it has daily at 56 percent. Uh, and and the chart is labeled basically Wall- a coin flip. Yeah, Wall-, Wall Street plays here. Yeah, meaning everybody talking on TV, on CNBC, Fox Business, Bloomberg, whatever it is, is talking about this. Meaning on a day to day basis, the fifty six percent chance that the market will be up uh, versus you know the reverse of that being down. That's yeah. what everybody is hemming and hawing about on the financial media. Right. Um, but you move to one year, so on a one year basis, the odds of seeing a positive return uh, improved to 75%. Mm-hmm. Five years improves to 88%. And you get to 10 years and you're north of 95%. And then beyond that is 100%, meaning 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Right. And even even people who are well into their retirement now still have 10, 20 years for, for their money to last. So at least a portion of their money is playing there and that was that was the point of the chart was wall street plays here on the end of daily you know daily returns we can choose to play on the end of the spectrum 10 20 30 40 years uh where the odds are in our favor Mm -hmm. and you can create a portfolio that even if you need to pull in a shorter time horizon than 10 20 30 or 40 years you can construct your portfolio in such a way that you don't have to play that short-term game that's much much harder to win yeah I think that we saw some pretty, I would say, reckless investments or investment um, investment beliefs mm-hmm. crop up over the last two or three years with like the meme stocks and all of these, uh, you know, alternate cryptocurrencies and stuff, where everyone just says, "Oh, stocks go up." We were we were pulling Scrabble tiles from uh, from a bag on YouTube, right? The <laughs> yeah, right. barstool guy. <laughs> but I think that people confuse this chart where. Yes, stocks do go up when you look out 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You can pretty much take that to the bank. Mm -hmm. But over the short term, a lot of people are seeing the reverse of that, that stocks do go down. And and, uh, And I think depending on how you've chosen to define stocks and then invest in them, they can go down dramatically and, and they don't have to come back, which is one of the things you're hearing now from folks is this is a good time to uh, dollar cost average. In fact, I, I think that uh, we we had uh, a blog post up recently talking about just that. Yep. And I agree. However, you if you dollar cost average into an individual stock, there are no guarantees that an individual stock, like many of them are right now, uh, off 50 plus percent, depending right. on whether it's you know, even a big company like a Netflix or a PayPal or like some of these more obscure uh, um, pandemic companies like yeah. like your Zooms of the world. Tel-Doc. or Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's no guarantees that those sort of companies come back. But I think that if you're playing in the pond of a basket of stocks, a, right, a basket of stock diversified market ETFs like like what we use in our portfolios, then then, you know, I, I agree. And I think that the odds we just discussed of you know, 95 plus percent, 10 years and moving out further of being a positive return. That's that's what that applies to. Right. Not necessarily individual companies. I mean. Right. I 
I talked about in a, in a recent podcast too. It's because these indexes like the S&P 500 or, you know, NASDAQ, Dow, what have you, it's because the companies that make up those indices change over time based on the rules that the indexes have in place. Mm-hmm. And Nick Majuli wrote a great post, which uh, it was basically what we just talked about, the difference between trying to catch a falling knife, so to speak, in an individual stock versus trying to do the same in an index. And mm-hmm. it's very different. And I think that that point is um, is really important for for investors to understand. Yeah. And the chart that we are referencing about the stock market gain probabilities is from Ben Carlson, which we'll link to in the show notes. But I, I pulled out another blurb from that post about, you know, you hear the stock market goes up over the long term, but why? And Ben had a had a great explanation for that in this post. I, th- I think just to interject before, and I think yeah. we got away from the why over the last year or two like the why didn't matter Mm. anymore or a lot of people were getting into investing and not considering the why and just seeing that a number on a screen was going up every single day seemingly and that they needed to be a part of that and that's the difference between investing and speculating of course because agree what you're referencing is is speculating i'm buying this because i think i can sell it to someone higher down the road Mm -hmm. basically and that's speculating yes it's based on nothing yep but investing which Ben talks about here is based on the actual underlying companies. Yep. So I'm just going to read the blurb because I think it's great and, and important. important to hear. Yeah. In 1928, earnings per share for the S&P 500 was $1.11, while corporations paid out $0.78 cents per share in dividends. It was impossible to do so at the time, but if you could have owned an index fund, those would have been your per share cash flows at the time. By the end of 2021, the earnings per share for S&P 500 companies was $197.87 and the dividend was $60.40. This means over the past 94 years, earnings on the U.S. stock market have grown at an annual rate of 6% while dividends have grown 5% per year. That's, that is what you are choosing to be a part of when you invest in the market. That kind of a that kind of growth. And of course, over a period of time from 1928 through the present, everything that's lumped into there, I mean, you've got how many, how many recessions, how many, uh, I mean, you have not only the, uh, you know, 2007, 2008, uh, market downturn, but you know, the, the great recession, but you have the great depression in these stats too, as well as, uh, inflation in the seventies and the 1987 crash and the dot com bubble. And all of these are baked into there. And, you need to plan your portfolio, especially as somebody in retirement, in such a way that you can obviously you can survive those periods of time. I'm not trying to trivialize them like they happen and and they're scary and you need to be able to survive them without blowing yourself up. But at the same time, you need to get through those as an investor to get to get the returns that we're talking about here, which right. which are the you know, one of the only things out there that's that's going to give you the tailwind you need to fund a retirement. I mean, it's it's very difficult to say uh, that somebody could be in a position where they they have enough saved in cash to, on an inflation adjusted basis, fully fund their retirement. Of course, we could never answer that without knowing somebody's exact life expectancy anyway. But even if we made some assumptions, the the sort of people who are in that position, I mean, I don't know how many of them are out there who could fund a retirement 
sans any growth whatsoever. Right. It's just it's just not feasible for most. So so we need to have this this kind of growth to some degree. Yeah, I think this time this period in time is is really making the the trade offs of investing really just stand out because you know we're talking about stocks stock market is not off to a great start this year on the other side we're talking about if you were to hold cash inflation running at seven eight percent we're not sure if that's going to continue or not but i think you're making a very you have to choose which risk you want to take yeah i think you're making a very low probability bet if you're taking the last five months as an indication that cash is your best inflation hedge. Because there's no argument that for five months now this year, cash has been the best inflation hedge. Because even after losing 7% 7 or 8% to inflation, it's probably ahead of, on a real on a real basis, uh, the losses that you've seen from bonds or stocks with, mm-hmm. with inflation layer upon them. You look historically, and I don't think that you can take the last five months as what will be the best moving forward for the next five months or especially for the next five years or beyond that. I think that you're still positioning yourself correctly, um, holding enough cash or equivalent, of course, to get through the immediate future, meaning the next couple of years. Um, but then having things outside of that time horizon aligned to uh, some some bonds, which you know have experienced losses this year, and some stocks, which are also down this year. I think those are those are temporary things that uh, are are not going to be the new normal for years and years to come. It's just something that you have to temporarily deal with as an investor. It's happened before; it will happen again in the future, and that's like we were talking about before. That's how you, I think, you can back into thinking that way, knowing what your needs are, you can put together a portfolio that lets you get through periods of time like this. You don't have to be happy about it, right. but you have to live through it and not put yourself in a position to bail out of investments at a bad time. Right. I think that's really well said. And I think that that is a good place to wrap up this episode. As always, when it comes to investing, you got to balance out what have you done for me lately versus what have you done for me over the long term and invest accordingly. So, Brent, thanks for joining me on this episode of the Maluli Asset Podcast. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back with you next week for episode 394. Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.